Welcome to this very special edition of African Gold. Hang about, mate. Who the hell is this guy? And what's he doing on me podcast? Actually, he's Danish, so it should be more something like, Wait, stop, who's this guy? <laughs> his, name, his name is Rasmus. Uh, he's a good friend as well as the producer of African Gold. So maybe let's just hear what he has to say for a second. I'm sitting today with a guy who is a failed serial entrepreneur. He's a maverick in the cannabis industry. He has l led a life full of adventure and latest um, is a big foray into podcasting. Um, Neil Liddell, why am I interviewing you? Well, today we take a little bit of a different tact. Um, this is the finale of season one, the sort of final episode. And we thought we'd do my story for this, this last one. Um, so we've decided to do a bit of a role reversal here. And um, Rasmus is uh, the producer of African Gold. He's my mentor. He's sort of helped me out in this Uh, the world of audio. And so today he is going to be interviewing me. Mm. So thanks for letting me like emerge from, from behind the, the buttons and the dials. <laughs> oh, it's really nice to be on the other side of the mic for yeah, a change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How's that, Jay? Yeah. And I'm going to start out by um, asking you because I know, I mean, I know some things about you. I've known you for, for a little bit. But there are certain things that I think you've done in your life that are pretty damn interesting. Um, one of them being uh, the time that you chose to ride your bicycle from Taiwan to Cape Town. Um, as far as I understood, that's like a few years ago before you got into the whole cannabis industry. But can you tell me why? Like, why did you come up with a plan like that? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, at that stage, I was living in Taiwan. After Varsity, I pretty much, you know, went on a bit of a traveling splurge and ended up teaching English in Taiwan, as many people do. Um, and I ended up staying there. So I stayed for the better part of a decade. Um, started a business importing South African wine. And, and I would come back every year to South Africa around Christmas time, just, you know, see the family and friends. And I remember one day sitting in, I mean, it's like, there's three layovers to get back to Cape Town. It's a mission. It's like 24 hours of travel. And I was like, Fuck, there's got to be a better way to get home. And then you looked at your bicycle in the corner. <laughs> I didn't even have a bike. I never ridden a bike. I'm like, I'm not a cyclist by any means. So um, I had this idea and I was like, well, fuck, let's cycle back to, to Cape Town. Thankfully, Taiwan is a place that's like one of the leading bicycle manufacturers of the world there. You know, I think Giant, Merida, all the big brands are there. So there was this World Bike Expo happening at the time. So I like went over there, just started speaking to people um, and some manufacturer, <clears throat> excuse me, some manufacturer gave me a sponsor. Like they said, cool, we'll build you a bike. And, and so that was the beginning really. And then as you know, I was, I decided to move back to Cape Town. I was like, I've been there long enough now and it was a perfect way to do it. So 
yeah, that's how it all came about. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure it would be everybody's definition of the perfect way of one getting home for Christmas or two moving from another country uh, on a bicycle. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it uh, it does say something about you, somebody who might be more inclined to take the more interesting way than the than the shortest, easiest way. Rasmus and I went on a bit of a tangent about this trip, so instead of playing out the entire conversation, I'm going to give you a quick summary here, and if you still want more, there's some short videos on YouTube and photos on Facebook, for which I'll leave links in the show notes. I called this trip home to home, cycling from my home in Taipei to my home in Cape Town, roughly 24,000 kilometers across two continents and 18 countries. I would ride until the sun started to dip towards the horizon and search for the least conspicuous place to rest my head. Sometimes this was under the stars in the desert, a jungle canopy, a mountain plateau. Other times, under a bridge in a bustling dirty city, the floor of a stranger's mud hut, or simply just pitch my tent on the side of the road. It took me just over a year and will be remembered as one of my life's grand adventures. And maybe, I don't know, you know, whether it's chicken and or egg, but either you were always like that or some of these like adventures kind of made you a bit of a non-conventional um, thinker or at least careerist. Like you didn't just go out of school, get a normal job. And like you called yourself, I said jokingly in the beginning that you called yourself a failed serial entrepreneur. Like, so what was your first business? <laughs> first failure yeah first well. failure where okay so i must have been about 13 years old early days of the internet and we are like one of the first to get internet uh, and email so i thought fuck let me let me go and ask all of the old people who need to send emails to their relatives and whatever and like you write the letter i'll transcribe the letter send the email print it out the reply for you and you know and bring it back so like off i go on my rollerblades handing out my little flyers around the neighborhood. Um, failure, because it turns out that uh, people don't really want to, you know, trust their their <laughs> private thoughts to some like dodgy teenager on rollerblades. <laughs> it's like, Who would so have thought? That, that never took off. I'm, um, I can't, can't understand why. Did you get any business at all? Yeah, one guy. Hmm. and he, but, but he would just come to the house and use it as an inter internet cafe oh. and do his own emails. And so that's your like, parents' house. Yeah, there. exactly. So I guess it's like a credit to my parents because they've always kind of supported that entrepreneurial mindset and as with all serial entrepreneurs failed or otherwise the next idea the next adventure is never very far away an opportunity will always find a way to present itself in this case the constitutional court ruling of 2018 legalizing the cultivation of cannabis in private would be just such an opportunity Tell me about the idea of setting up the Hayes Club. Right. Like where, where did that first yeah. spark that idea? Um, okay, so obviously it's all rooted in that, the constitutional ruling, Prince Three, which we've spoken about with Gareth Prince. Um, that constitutional court ruled that it was now legal to consume, uh, cultivate, possess cannabis in private. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I won't say it was my, I think many people had this idea. Perhaps we were just one of the first to execute on it. And that is, you know, as an entrepreneur, I just saw, okay, well, this, this concept of private space, if I have this room, for example, and I sublease out portions of this room, does that now make that subleasee, is it their private space? And if it is, then surely we can grow on, you know, we can grow for other people in a grow room, just subdivided into many grow spaces. So that was the premise of the idea and still is. Um, obviously, I didn't just act on that. I took this idea to um, to Schindler's at first and then later Cliff Decker, Hoffman. See, these are big law firms mm. who looked at this model. And I believe, you know, it wasn't, they were looking at this for lots of people. Mm. Um, and it, we were just in there at the at similar timing at the near the beginning of all of this. I remember seeing um, the one time I think I've seen your your product was at this like party somewhere, and you brought like this like very nice box, and it was like you know the whole thing was like my thought was initially okay, this is really now he's presenting me something that it's not like a plastic bag in a. <laughs> you know between the the links in a fence or you know in a back alley or this is the same as like a nice bottle of wine or or whiskey or whatever i'm like this is actually how things like could be in the world and was that kind of like your vision to absolutely and that's what you can do if it was legal like like we think it is um that's what it allows you to do is it put like professionalism and stuff into everything from the growing all the way through to the packaging which it ends up um you know arriving at so that's definitely part of part of it you know mm -hmm. mm. and you've mentioned in the introduction to or during one of the other interviews like basically your facility got raided you had no idea that it was gonna happen you got arrested um but mm -hmm. what i want to ask you about it's not like you just got got out like things were pretty close at mm. at that moment where you were you're going into court can you can you tell me what happens not by the arrest but but yeah at that point. that's such, i mean yeah well as i said like it was the police say it was a random tip-off police rocked up the officer asked what you you know what are you doing here and i said I run a cannabis club here. Uh -huh. And he said, we are, we need to search the premises. So they barged past. And before I know it, there's like, I don't know, it was, it was all happening. So, but be, and basically they handcuffed us right then and there. Um, and I say us because it was actually one of my employees, which is a family friend who was um, assisting me in the grow. And he unfortunately was, you know, he's another casualty he, of the he's whole a thing. casualty absolutely he's facing the same charges as me all of that um when it really hit home was when they about to put us in the police car to take us to the police station they started like untying our shoelaces and taking them off and they're like i'm like why why are you doing that and they're like well it's otherwise the guys in your cell could take it and and strangle you with it and i was like oh fuck now this is getting real right um and it you know something i didn't know at the time which i'd advise anyone doing anything that could land you in jail do it near a friendly police station because wherever you're arrested you get taken to the nearest police station so our facility was in ottery the nearest police station is grassy park and that was quite a rough 
rough place to spend a few mm. a few days um so i take it you you don't have experience to know which are the nice police stations around well, like too. maybe camps bay would be a good one you know fuck. um but anyway so we you know we're carted off there um got thrown inside the the cell with a whole bunch of other guys um and there's this one guy who's obviously like the leader of this this little cell um everyone seems a little bit fearful of him and we sit down and the guy i miss him in like the first 10 minutes and he says to my colleague he's like hey whitey come lie here by me on my mattress man i just want to talk to you man and then we're thinking holy shit now now we're fighting for our lives you know um but thankfully managed to divert the conversation and he wasn't super persistent so we didn't it never got physical you know it was that constant fear like every time that door opens you're like who's coming in here now um i've never been so scared in my life i mean even thinking about it it's it's scary man and so three days later we know we got a court appearance um but there was this one gangster in our cell that and he's saying like fuck man you gotta be worried about the holding cell at weinberg magistrate's court because there it's like all the polesmore guys going back for their court dates all the jails from around the western cape everyone gets thrown in that thing while you're waiting for your court and this kid like looks at you and he's like you're not up for this like you don't have he's like he's giving me he's giving advice on what to do it's like well don't don't look people in the eye you just say yes sir you give them whatever they want if they want your shoes you give them your shoes if they're whatever you have you give it to them and don't ask questions and be polite and like and i was just shitting myself with mm. this this eventually that we're gonna have to be waiting in there with like even harder people mm. you know mm. and um so we're waiting for our court date i know it's i wake up we wake up in the morning you don't know what time it is but it's the sun is coming up and time goes on and time goes on and you're like fuck where when are we going and eventually a cop comes into the cell for some other reason and we're like well we're supposed to have our court date today what's going on with that he's like huh and he goes away and then he comes back and they like hustle us out now mm. and we re- like sirens on blazing to the court station so unbeknownst to us obviously we don't know what's going on but at the courtroom you know we were due and we weren't there Mm. and the lawyers are there and the the judge is there and everyone's and the judge is getting pissed off and he's like well where where are these guys man i've got a meeting in mm. at this time um if they're not here uh um you know well, i'm gonna postpone it and that goes out a week and then you go to polesmore and wait that week out mm. before your next date so it, you don't go back to the police station now we're freaking in polesmore for a week um Thank God I didn't know that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that time. you didn't know. I mean, but that's the thing. Like I've um, looked in at, on some criminal cases, not that many, but enough to know how incredibly common that is, that there's some sort of hiccup and it just gets postponed. And in the meantime, it doesn't matter whether you're guilty or innocent, yeah. who you are, you're in the system now. Yeah. Um, but you dodged that. We dodged, so we get raced there. Um, 
And like the, the twist of fate here was that because we were so late and we got ushered straight into the court, we missed going into the holding cells. We didn't even go into those holding cells and we just got ushered straight up into, into court for our bail hearing, um, granted bail and got to leave. And so we were granted bail and got to go home. But life would never be the same again. The rug had been ripped out from under me and my business and the pieces all came tumbling down. It was now time to start picking up these pieces while preparing for an almighty legal battle against the state over the future of the Grow Club model and indeed my very own future. And with that case itself, um, I mean, just over the time that we've been speaking about this podcast, you've had like several court appointments, all of them, it just gets pushed on and on. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you were expecting this to be over by now, surely, but where are you now? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So our um, case has now been, I think it's been three, the third time it's been pushed out. So they're saying definitely in the first term of next year, which is probably like February or March. But I'm, you know, coming to terms with the fact that this is probably going to be, this is probably going to go on for a very long time. Because even if the case is heard, whenever it is heard, that's not like with a judge rules and it's over, right? Yeah. So high court judge will make a ruling, whether it's in our favor or not, mm. someone is going to appeal that decision. Mm. So if we win, there's no doubt the state is going to appeal. And then it goes to the Supreme Court of Appeals where another panel of judges look at it. Um, and then it goes, and then again, it can be appealed and it goes to the Constitutional Court. So in all, or the judge could just say from the get-go, he could say, well, this is not a matter that I can rule on going to the Constitutional Court for, um, for judgment. And suddenly you find yourself in the same um, general place that several other people that has been on this podcast yeah, have been like yeah. Myrtle and, and Gareth yeah. and exactly and you know and the further the higher up you are in this the court system the longer these things seem to take so um to get a to get a date at the constitutional court could take many more years you know so I was, you know, initially I was very naive. I mean, I don't know anything about the court process, whereas now I do. I, you know, I thought this would be done and dusted in a few months and we can carry on. But it's, you know, you live and learn and it looks like these processes take time. So uh, do you think that like now, um, you know, knowing what you, you know now, you were expecting to have like a, sort of a hobby that could turn into a business, use this new dawn of like legalization or the privacy judgment, what, whatever sort of legal, I mean, I'm me, I'm an ordinary person that doesn't know anything about law really or, or anything like that. And I don't imagine, and I thought, oh, weed is like legal now. Turns out it's a lot more complicated yeah. than that. <laughs> and you end up like wanting to do this and you're like, okay, maybe I'm building up a little business here. Um, and now you're sitting in this spot as like the same as these cannabis pioneers that have fought for the government for years. Like um, you've become an activist, uh, um, whether you wanted to or not. Hey? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call, you definitely can't compare myself to someone like Myrtle, Gareth, 
Tony, all the guests of this show that have up to now, you know, the, these people have put in blood, sweat and tears for decades, you know, whereas I, my case is very new. I mean, I didn't come in yet to be an activist. I just wanted to grow some weed for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I suppose it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, yeah, this case is, I guess, quite an important one for the cannabis landscape in the country. So, yeah. Now you saying a lot of this, like your whole story kind of centers around you sort of, you saw the risks, you accepted the risks, you went down this route, um, but not because you wanted to, you didn't want to have that fight, um, but it happened to you anyway. At the same time, you're also a husband, a father, you, you know, you have, you have a life, a son to someone and the legal implications here could be severe. I mean, it might be years down the line, but if you actually get prosecuted, um, you could go to jail for a long time down the line. Um, how, how does that feel? Like what's, how do you think about that? I yeah. mean, that must be a dark thought, I think. It is a dark thought, you know? Um, and in the early days of this case that dominated my thoughts, it was a very dark time, you know, because that's what you find yourself dwelling on a lot is those consequences and they are fucking severe. <laughs> it's not a place I want to be. And it's not a place, not something I even want to think about because shit, man, that's Polesmore for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's my life over. It's my family's life over. So yes, the consequences are severe. Do I think it'll ever get there? I don't think so. I hope not. But as you say, there's that, there's that seed of doubt that that often creeps up, and you have to push it away. I mean, and so you know, if you're looking at the um, the dark hole, if that's like the the yeah. the one side of the coin, what's the other one? Like, what's the the bright side? Like, what is the vision that you have for for you, for your business model, perhaps, but for yourself and for the weed industry and for South Africa, if you look that everything goes according to your wishes the next few years? Yeah. Well, one, we win this case speedily and grow clubs can operate. That means anyone can grow on behalf of anyone else. And that's, I mean, that would be a massive thing in itself. That's like the first legal avenue into recreational cannabis here, right? So, yeah, I think... I think it's just a reminding yourself that there are some really positive things that can come out of this. Like if we do succeed here, this is a model that's going to benefit a lot of, of the smaller, you know, the, the little guy. It's putting a legal avenue out there that like South Africans of like all backgrounds and they can benefit from this, you know. It's, a, it's like a win for the little guy if this works out. So there is that you know, that's, that's what I've got to focus on as opposed to the negative dark stuff, because it's, there's no good dwelling on that. Yeah. And then you're going to go back and you're going to focus on the haze cup and, and grow it nicely and produce weed and keep making those nice boxes and all that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we we had some such cool stuff in the pipeline, uh, for the business, you know, um, and we would just continue, continue with those, right. Um, provided, we get a decision in our favor, yeah. Mm. 
And then there's one last thing that I want to ask you because, you know, nobody, no man is an, is an island. Um, we're all like connected to, to each other. And I think um, when something like this happened, all of this uncertainty going on to anyone that's prosecuted, honestly, within the weed or cannabis related crimes in, in this country, which we know are like hundreds of thousands a year, like these are not just the each individual that ends up in trouble, um, it also affects the people around them, like your family, for example. So if we were gonna, if your wife was gonna summarize all of this, like everything that you've gotten yourself mixed up in now and what things look like, um, we've heard your your opinion, what, what would hers be? What would she say? Yeah. I don't know, man. Um, let's, let's go ask her, see what she says. <laughs> She's gonna hate me. Hero, mm. can I play something? Yeah. Okay. If your wife was gonna summarize all of this, like, what would hers be? So what do you think your opinion would be? <laughs> opinion? Um, what's my opinion? Um, so is, the, is that the question? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not that easy to just summarize. It's, it's kind of a, there's a many ongoing things that ha kind of happen on a daily basis. There's, um, there's this kind of trial that we're waiting, waiting for, um, which used to hang over my head every day, but now it's kind of keeps being pushed out. So it's one of those things you're kind of trying to ignore so that you can kind of cope with your daily life. But you also know that it's there. Um, but I don't think it ever goes away. It's kind of this like shadow that that stays, um, knowing that somebody that you very, you care about is facing these horrific charges. And yet you also know that they are certainly have no criminal intent, that they are gentle, innovative, entrepreneurial, and essentially that's what's landed them here. But what I really do see is that this is a precedent-setting case and that the outcome of this case, um, and, I, and I hope that it is a fair and just um, one for all South Africans, um, that, it, that, it, that it's, you know, it's changing law. So on the one side, I'm really, really proud. And on the other side, it's just a flipping scary reality having something like this um, sitting over our, our, over our head. And yeah. I mean, so it's a, a mixed bag. So there's no no one answer to that. What was it like fetching me from jail? What was like fetching? What was it like seeing me in jail? I think. So I think I, I've never in my life experienced something quite quite as sort of intense. <laughs> that I think that like the moment that sticks out for me was when um, I was actually ha happened to be shopping in my lunch break in clicks um, and I got a call from an unknown number and so I answered the number and there was this criminal lawyer on the phone who had said well just to let you know that your husband's been arrested and he's off to Grassy Park Police Station which I think is like a, it's one of those calls that everybody kind of dreads in their life that this is actually like happening and that this kind of the, this doom situation is just being you know you've just someone's just told you something that you just almost can't believe I remember trying to pay and I couldn't kind of hold myself together because my hands were shaking so much 
Um, and then obviously uh, having to go to the magistrate's court to, to and um, go through that whole bail process was pretty horrific too. And, um, yeah, just watching all the police and everybody kind of surrounding, waiting for the case to happen. Again, it's it's not a process or, or something that I've ever seen in reality. I've only ever kind of seen court situations in the movies. But they're almost definitely as, as horrific with people coming in in chains and ball what are those things called ball and chains i mean literally people walking down the corridors and balls ball, and chains um and you just see these these people that you love standing in front of a magistrate court knowing that the magistrate actually doesn't understand the technical uh, details of the of the case but he's ruling on whether this person is a flight risk so you're trying your hardest to kind of just show um show your loved one's track record and hope that the that the magistrate will allow bail um so yeah um, but you're in this criminal system, and and that's the scary part is that everybody's lumped into one at that point, and you're just praying that you know that the magistrate is kind enough to kind of grant your loved one some some kind of lenience and fairness and justice. But you never know until the ruling's made, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for putting you through that. It must have been awful. No, it's okay. It's more awful for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's pretty bad. But anyway, thanks for answering my question. <laughs> Don't take too much. This has been a terrible journey for myself and my family, but we are privileged. Privileged in the fact that we could afford a good lawyer and had the money to post bail. Far worse happens to hundreds of thousands of South Africans each year due to cannabis-related charges. And the true sadness is that the vast majority cannot afford fancy lawyers or bail. What do you think happens to these people? What do you think their lives and the lives of their families look like afterwards? I shudder to think. And for what? In fact, our very own Ministry of Health recently released a statement saying that cannabis should not land people in jail that the damage of sending someone to prison far outweighs the health costs associated with cannabis. So when will this end? All but two relevant government departments are in support of legalization. Two arms of government that are dragging their feet, ruining the lives of countless people every year. The Department of Justice and the Department of Police, whose sole mission it is to create a safe and secure environment for all people in South Africa. Well, in that they've failed us. They've taken the just out of justice, leaving only ice-cold hearts and ruined lives. Sheesh. Uh, so I went in there to get a 30-second soundbite, and it turned into quite an emotional experience. So apologies for the digression, Let's get back to Rasmus and the conclusion of this episode. Rasmus, where are you? Um, and then finally, I just want to know um, about this being the final episode of this season. You know, you're, you've been on a journey learning how to make podcasts, putting them out there, speaking to these people. And um, now, you know, the year and the season is coming to an end. But you're already talking about season two. What do you, what do you have planned for that? Yeah. Uh, well, firstly, I got to thank you for teaching me everything I know on how to actually put this together, um, and it's been it's been a crazy, cool 
learning curve, man. It's I'm really thoroughly enjoying this audio space and and chatting to interesting people and putting this together. So I would love to continue to do it. You know, during this holiday period, try and drum up some sponsorship. See if we can get a sponsor on board to help cover the costs. Because season two, what I would love to do is address topics. So we've in season one, we've been speaking to the people that have set the set the scene. You know, who've gotten us to this point. Um, but in season two, I want to look at um, individual topics. For example, let's mm. look at cannabinoids. Like like educate people about what what they actually are i mean a lot of people don't even know the difference between cbd and thc or or how they affect the body or whatever so starting to look at um individual specific topics that's what i want to start so explore these topics that are things that people uh would want to know or would be good for us to know if we're going to yeah, go in. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of myth out there. There's a lot of uh, stigma out there. There's a lot of misinformation. So trying to debunk some of those myths or, um, or scientifically um, corroborate some of the facts. So uh, can people write in, can people write in and ask uh, questions? Um, why not? You yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So I, I think that's, uh, that's going to be a lot more work, obviously. Um, um, but I think it'll be really cool to start exploring some of these things. And so here, finally, I just want to say it for the people who now th imagine that Neil having gone into podcasting, uh, finally he's landed the jackpot and now he's like driving a Rolls Royce to his studio <laughs> every day. That's not the reality we're making. This is my like um, office, which is one of the bedrooms in, in my house. We're recording this and we're scrambling around with equipment that we are borrowing, that we are buying, that we are um, using all of this putting together from our bedrooms which is how a lot of podcasts starts and and there's nothing wrong with that but if you want neil and this podcast to uh continue and you want us to be even more professional go and support um the the work because it's all gonna go into making more of of this content making better content sounding better and you'll get to hear more of the story that uh, neil comes up with <laughs> thanks for that rasmus yeah <laughs> nice should we call that a, yeah, a day let's call it a day and what a day it has been to all of you that have come along for the journey i thank you and I hope that you've enjoyed this first season. We're going to break for the holidays, but we'll be back next year with more epic content. In the meantime, keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next year for another toke of African Gold. <laughs>